Blog Talk Radio.
evening, everyone, and welcome. Thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in. This is T. Love, your host here at Energy Awareness Radio. I am a Reiki master and certified sound therapist with a private practice in Sussex County, New Jersey, where we are streaming to you live as we do every Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Our chat room is open, so feel free to join the discussion that's already happening online. We do keep an eye on the chat room, so if you have a question, go ahead and post it, and we'll do our best to get your question on air. Now, as an alternative, for those of you who are on the go and you can't continue to listen online, just call us directly by dialing 347-202-0227, and that way you can listen via phone, or please be sure to use your Bluetooth if you are driving around. And before we begin tonight, I wanted to thank my friends at AdRunner for spreading the word about Energy Awareness Radio. Now, if you're tuning in from Sussex or Morris Counties in New Jersey, you may have seen my digital ad running in the Jefferson Diner, the Randolph Diner, or at Casamia in Sparta. The company running those screens is called AdRunner, and they have screens in various eateries across New Jersey. And I must tell you, everyone at AdRunner has been so helpful Whenever I have changes to my ad, they make the necessary edits, and the ad is up and running the very next day. Sometimes if it's early in the morning when I call, the ad is running within hours. So they're crazy good people to work with, and I have had people tell me that they found out about Energy Awareness Radio from the Ad Runner screens. So thank you, thank you, thank you, Ad Runner. You can find out more about them on their website, adrunner.co. That's spelled A-D-R-U-N-N-E-R dot C-O. Love, 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 Ad Runner. They are a wonderful group of people that make my life so easy, and that makes me very happy. So what makes you happy? Do you like being happy? Would you like to be happy more often? Well, it turns out you can be, and you can start right now tonight. My guest tonight is Loretta Graziano Bruning, Professor Emerita of Management at California State University and a docent at the Oakland Zoo. She is a Tufts and Cornell graduate and the author of I Mammal, Why Your Brain Links Status and Happiness, and also Greaseless, How to Thrive Without Bribes in Developing Countries. But tonight, she is here to discuss her book, Meet Your Happy Chemicals. Good evening, Loretta. I want to thank you so much for taking time to join us tonight. How are you being this evening? Hi. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah, it's it's really, really terrific. It's a great subject. I think everybody wants to be happy, but sometimes they just don't know how to do it. And in your book, although it's at the end of the book, your personal story, which you include, kind of gives insight as to how you came to where you are now. Would you like to start and give us a little bit of an overview to the listening audience, a little bit about that? Oh, thank you. And uh, if you don't mind if I mention I'm following up with that, I'm writing another book, which will be out in a few weeks, that goes into the story a little bit more. Um, Oh, that's great. Yes, thank you. Um, The new (laughs) book is called Beyond Cynical. So we all have good reasons for being cynical. We can all find many things wrong with the world. And the point is that if you want to find flaws with the world, well, you know, go for it. <laughs> but You can, easily. <laughs> <laughs> but if you say, oh, well, I'm not going to be happy until the world fixes things, then you're not going to be happy. So what is your option? And that's what I'm focused yeah. on. And I was very thrilled to sort of learn that our the, the mental circuits that we build are often from accidents of experience 
and they seem like the truth because the brain relies on the circuits it has, but you can create new circuits. It's not easy to do it in later life. We really evolved to do it in youth, but you can do it later on, so why shouldn't you? So Well, and you should. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you, Absolutely. Uh, uh, I don't know if you have more specifics about my personal story or what, I don't know. Well, I I did read your story, and I found it very interesting because, to me, that is probably why you are doing what you are doing. Is that correct? I would say probably so, but as I meet more people, I mean, everybody has a story. Everybody has some kind of suffering or another, and if I think, well, people who don't have my story are happy all the time – well, it's not true. You think, well, people who have this or that must be happy all the time, and then you're surprised to find that they're not. So I was really amazed to see, well, everybody could find a reason to be miserable. So it's really not about the external events. And then when I learned about how animals are wired and the social conflict in animals and that we have the same brain structures and the same brain chemicals cause our happiness and unhappiness, I was just amazed and so there's not really a reason to feel anyone's individual story is is the cause of some inevitability okay we'll go with that (laughs) uh let's see okay (laughs) well beyond cynical that sounds like a good book actually that is something that would be interesting to talk about as well so i can't wait until that comes out we'll we'll have to get together with you on that one as well Uh, Why don't we start with um, your book, Meet Your Happy Chemicals, and just kind of maybe review the four chemicals and give an overview of their function to the listening audience who has not yet read your book because they're obviously listening tonight to learn more about it so that they can go and get the book and and will be able to read it and do what is necessary to change their life to be more happy. Sure. Uh, The four happy chemicals that um, focused on dopamine, endorphin, serotonin, and oxytocin. So we've all heard a little bit about these, and there's maybe differing medical views and research views, but I'm focused on the information about how they work in animals because animals don't talk to themselves in words. It's very easy to see in an animal what their behavior is when they have more or less of this chemical, and then you say, oh, my goodness, people have the same behavior patterns, and it's so clear how that chemical is involved. So let's start with dopamine. So dopamine is the feeling of, I got it. And you may say, I got it for one thing, and I may say, I got it for another. But all of us, it's because in some way, we've focused that, uh, we've connected that in our past to this meets a real need. So you may say, I got it when you past your medical school boards, or you may say, I got it when you find a pack of cigarettes. You know, whatever, <laughs> you know, whatever an individual brain wired itself to say, this meets my needs. This is what I need. How can I find it? I got it. So, And that feels good when you find what you think you need. And sometimes just looking, that's why people are collectors, because just the feeling of looking and finding whether you really need it or not, is the is what stimulates dopamine. So when you understand this, then you're less focused on the belief that you needed something, but just knowing, oh, so in the state of nature, 
Animals survive by looking for food constantly. They have to constantly find more food, and dopamine is what gets them to seek, find, seek, find. And that's what makes us feel good. So the solution that I focused on here is you could find a goal that's within your reach and that's healthy for you, um, and then as soon as you reach it, then you're going to start feeling bad again, so then you've got to find another goal. So when, when you understand how your brain works, then you can manage this. Now, um, another brain chemical that we hear a lot about, oh, by the way, I should just mention with dopamine, whenever I give talks, people always come and ask me about Parkinson's because Parkinson's is the most famous example of a dopamine-related disease. And in case anyone's wondering, in the animal world, when an animal sees food and says, I got it, what do they do? They start their body propels into motion to go after the food. And dopamine is what propels the body into motion, and that's why dopamine problems are related to physical activity. Now, serotonin well, is me, the one. Let me, can I ask a question about dopamine? Okay, on the dopamine, when you said um, when you reach the goal, you reach the goal, but then as soon as you get the goal, you're not happy anymore. But you're not unhappy. You're just, can we say, is it would it be like stable or normal because you're not at that state of oh okay I succeeded yay once you did that and it went past it's not like you're unhappy though right very good question you know what you don't need to be unhappy but the irony is that dopamine feels so good that when it stops you feel like something is wrong so it's like oh I was feeling so good when I was trying to get into medical school and just about to get into medical school, once I got into medical school or once I had that baby or once I achieved that whatever or even once I found the pack of cigarettes and lit up, whatever Mm. it is, once the dopamine stops surging, you feel like something is missing. And unfortunately, that's how people are with relationships. You know, you think you're going to find the one and then chase, chase, chase. Because in nature, that's what gets an animal food is chase, chase, chase. Then when you get the food, it's like, okay, well, now I don't have that good feeling anymore. <laughs> that's awful, isn't it? It's climactic, I guess. It's like Christmas. Yeah. You get up to the anticipation of the holidays, and then they're over, and it's like, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, then you have a mess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good analogy. Right? Yeah. Okay. All right. So now you, I'm sorry, you can go on with serotonin. Oh, wait, no, I'm saying it, it's awful, but the only thing that's more awful is to not understand it and to think that it really is awful. So when you know yeah. that it's just an accident of, of neurochemical brain that evolved for survival, then, you know, it's okay. It's no, like, that makes well, sense. Now I'm, yeah, it's an awareness. Now I'm free. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No. So now I'm free to pursue a new goal. So um, serotonin. So serotonin, of course, is the chemical that people hear about in relation to depression and antidepressants and Prozac. But everybody probably knows that all that um, psychopharmacology sort of emerged by accident. It never came out of any real understanding of what is the deal with serotonin and how does it work. And then when people looked for that, they didn't really find it. So it's complicated. And one amazing thing is that we have a lot more serotonin in our stomachs, 10 times more in your stomach 
been in your brain. And what puts this all together is that animals have the same thing. And in the animal world, when you grab food, you prepare to start digesting it. So in the animal brain, there's a link between the urge to grab food and that um, activating your stomach to start digesting it. It's so amazing. And not only do apes have serotonin, but I say um, all mammals and reptiles, fish, mollusks, and even amoeba have the same system. Isn't that amazing? So it actually is, yeah. Yeah. So what can you say about grabbing food? Everybody would say, well, I would never grab food. It's like, well, yeah, I wouldn't (laughs) grab food either. But if you want serotonin, it comes from that feeling of sort of like, I'm the man, it's mine. And you can always say, well, I don't matter and everybody else comes first. But if you have that feeling in a troop of monkeys, you will starve. So there has to be a time when you say, okay, that banana is mine. Okay. So it doesn't sound nice, but that's just the accident of, of the brain that we've inherited. It keeps animals alive in nature. And some interesting studies have um, shown that the the animal that dominates the others has higher serotonin. And again, I'm not saying that, well, we should raise our serotonin by dominating others because then there's bad consequences to that. So we go for that fine line of we call confidence or pride or feeling worthy. doesn't have to put others down, but don't put yourself down either is really the thing. And so serotonin is the one where people, uh, let's see, if somebody almost is like sabotaging you, they will make themselves look good to drag you down. They have an excess of serotonin? Well, I'm not really focused on finding fault with others. <laughs> so you can't really control them. It's like if you feel bad, instead of saying it's because what they're doing to me, because some of those people, you could say they're dominating everyone and they still feel bad. So... It's not about finding what other people are doing wrong, but how can I feel better? And I can feel worthy regardless of what other people are doing because other people are mammals. Right. We're all animals, so yeah. Okay, go ahead. I say, I say mammals. Other people are mammals. Because if you say they're okay. animals, it, no. <laughs> I don't know. It, it's just, I mean, they are animals. <laughs> But then you got Then you have to say, "I'm an animal too," so it's easier to say, "I'm a mammal too." Okay, <laughs> I'm a mammal too. Alrighty. <laughs> <laughs> so um, endorphin. So endorphin is the thing we always hear about in the context of exercise, and you hear that you know the aerobics teacher talking about your endorphin. So the complication with that, and and I have to say I'm not a great, like, endurance exerciser at all. I mean, I go for my walk. So I I may be not the hero in this department. (laughs) But um, endorphin in the state of nature is to mask pain when an animal is injured and bitten. If you're bitten by a lion and you have to run away, 
endorphin masks pain so you could keep running and save your life. So when you're exercising, if you get to endorphin, it's because you're in pain. So it's a fine balance. If you exercise just to get the endorphin, some people overdo it, and then they're in pain, and they ignore the pain, and they hurt themselves. So, again, it's a fine line like all of these. How can I get the good feeling of endorphin but not go crazy and have myself being in physical pain? Okay, so endorphin is to fight pain. Is it? Does it have anything to do with uh, fight, flight, or freeze? Oh, good question. That's um, that's the other chapter of unhappy chemicals, fight, flight, or freeze. By the way, Beyond Cynical has a lot more about that, including the freeze, which is really, you know, interesting. Um, cortisol is the unhappy chemical that causes that. Um, endorphin is when you're, let's say if you were in the state of nature, like a lion is chasing you, the cortisol tells you to run. If the lion gets you and you're in pain, the endorphin allows you to keep running while you're in pain. And maybe some people have experienced, like I was really hurt, but I didn't know it for a few minutes. And that's because in the short run, your body releases this chemical that masks pain just long enough for you to get yourself out of danger. After that, you need to know you're in pain. It's not healthy to be on endorphin all the time. Endorphin is, um, you know, opium. And if you're ignoring reality all the time, that doesn't promote survival. And the point of this mammal brain is to promote survival. It's funny because a lot of people will say that's when their adrenaline kicked in. You know, that they were able to just keep going. Yes, exactly. And you know what? Adrenaline is part of it, and part of it is ignoring the pain. And adrenaline is, again, also in, in Beyond Cynical, adrenaline is part of this. But adrenaline, what I say is adrenaline is like adding gas. So whether you're doing something good or something bad, adrenaline gives you that extra gas to feel like it's urgent and you can do it urgently, but it doesn't tell you to be happy or unhappy. Okay. Good clarification. Thank you. Sure. <laughs> so um, oxytocin. So oxytocin is fascinating and um, it's gotten some attention lately, but otherwise in medicine you maybe don't hear about it like in the news as much. Oxytocin is what we call the bonding hormone and it's most known in medicine for mothers and babies and in fact is also related to sex and in the animal kingdom is related to sex and it makes you feel good in the presence of others and therefore it's the closest thing in words is trust is when you say, I'm safe around another person. And that is because this chemical oxytocin is being triggered. Okay. So now we have a basis of the four different happy chemicals. And I just know, I can hear all the questions out there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, these these chemicals can be influenced or can be, there's an impact of these chemicals by life experience. Is that correct? Yes, very, very much so. For example, if if I grew up where people were eating some 
stinky food. Let's let me just think of an example: canned sardines. And we were had, you know, on your birthday, you were giving canned sardines, and then I would see canned sardines, and I would say, "Oh wow, that makes me feel so good," <laughs> you know. And then someone else would have maybe a bad association with canned sardines. So it's all the connections that your brain makes from early experience. Any time the chemical gets released, I call it paving. It's like paving on your neural pathways that makes it easy for you to turn that chemical on again in the future. Okay, so that's a good example. So now if somebody says something, because this has happened to me, people talk about something, and of course you have a memory, and you think, oh, yeah, that made me really happy. But also the same so you're you're releasing chemicals at that point just by the word, but you you get the same reaction if in fact you did actually smell that scent. Is that correct? Yes, exactly. And the reason smelling the scent is the example that comes up so much is that smell is our one scent that is most close to our mammalian impulses. Like when you are using your sight or your hearing your whole higher verbal brain gets involved. But scent is, they say, is like only one or two neurons away from between your input and your analysis. Okay. All right, that's interesting. All right, so now there are these happy chemicals, and it would stand to reason that perhaps there are unhappy chemicals, or is that the reverse side of these, the depletion of them? Oh, good question. Um, it's a little of both. The When a happy chemical stops, like, oh, wow, a birthday cake, yum, yum, so that's a good feeling. When that good feeling is over, nothing's really wrong, but the sense that a happy, like, floating, surging, wonderful feeling is over, you don't have to interpret that as something's wrong. But we get in the habit of interpreting that because we get in the habit of sort of looking for another stimulator, another boost, another high. So then we could sort of train ourselves to fear that not surging feeling. So that's half of it. The other, and, that, and that's what's in the book, in Meet Your Happy mm-hmm. Chemical. But the other half of it is the cortisol thing. Think of cortisol as in a state of nature, a lion is coming. But then what experience teaches you is anything that triggered your cortisol before paved a neural pathway, and you think, oh, I'm not going to wait until the lion is right here. Anything that seems anything like what was going on, the lion's smell, the lion's sound, the kind of grass that the lion was near, the kind of day it was, and over time, you have more and more things that you've linked to. Oh, maybe that's associated with danger. That's associated with danger. And pretty soon, you're reacting to a lot of things that you're associating with danger. Hmm. Okay, even if they may not be dangerous. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, not, well, that's not, not urgently good. dangerous. Yeah, not, right. not urgently dangerous, but once cortisol is flowing then you have a bad feeling. That feeling is real. You know, it really does feel bad because in the state of nature, it evolved to get you to stop munching on grass and start running away from the lion. So what you do is um, you look for a happy chemical to distract you away from the bad feeling is what a, a very common habit is. 
Okay, now there are ways that we can stimulate our happy chemicals, and I want to get to that in a minute. But I want to ask this first because we know we can stimulate our happy chemicals. But to do that, do we need to suppress our unhappy chemicals first? Oh, good question. Um, what I'm saying in the book is almost the opposite. Let's say okay. you're unhappy. Let's say your unhappy chemical is flowing because, let's say, I try I I tried to talk to someone and they didn't want to talk to me. Now I know that my life is not really threatened by that, but in a person's early experience, you know, when you're ignored by someone whose attention you want. It really is a threat when you're young. So your brain has wired it to be a threat, and now I feel bad. So my cortisol is flowing, and that causes me to look around for more bad things because my brain says, where's the lion? Where's the lion? So how can I get over that bad feeling? Well, I may have learned in the past that if I eat a cookie or have a cigarette or gossip about someone I don't like or, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. play a video yeah. game, whatever it is, that that will make the bad feeling go away. But then what you do is you say, if I don't play the video game or eat the cookie, then the lion will get me. So you're better off saying, okay, I'm just going to sit here. I'm not going to eat the cookie. I'm not going to play the video game. I'm going to live with that cortisol feeling for a minute and train my brain to know that there really is not a lion, and I'm really not threatened when I have that threatened feeling. Okay, and this is part of the 45-day process that we'll get into in a little bit as well so that people can learn to actually become happier over that period of time. Yeah. Correct? Okay. All right, uh, we are yes speaking... No. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well, I just want to be honest. Um what I'm saying in 45 days is to build one new circuit. And since we're all a product of so many intersecting circuits that we've built over time, I'm saying, you know, pick a circuit you want to build, and you can build it in 45 days. Yeah, and then, now let me, let me ask you this. When, when you build one circuit, because you've gone through the 45-day process, it seems to me in reading the book that once you have done that, it just seems to me that the next circuit that you want to change or build would be easier because you've already done the process. Does that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It just seems that way to me because I thought, I know this is not, it's, it is simple, but it is not easy, but I believe it would become easier with every 45 days for the circuits that you want to change. Yes. Although, although having said that, let's say if I start my, first example with something easy, then the second one might be hard. Oh, yeah. Right? No, see, I'm the type of person <laughs> so, that always starts with the hardest thing so that the others are easier. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> I didn't think of that. <laughs> well, let's say if a person has a habit of using bad language or, I don't know, you know, getting frustrated while they're driving, and they may start with that, but then... Well, the other point is the only way you can change your behavior is to substitute a new behavior. So if you say, I'm not going to do this, that's not going to work. It's, I'm going to do that. So you focus on the thing you want to do. Right, rather than the thing you don't want to do, which automatically changes 
so that after the 45 days you've got it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We are yeah, speaking what I with. Say is, oh, sorry. Oh, well, I'll just say you, you literally forget to do the, the bad thing that you don't want to do. You just forget to do it. And the reason is because the electricity in your brain flows the way water flows through pipes. So you're effectively creating a new pipe that's as big as the old one so that electricity doesn't have to flow into the old one. And having said that, that's oversimplification because your new pipes are never going to be as big as your old ones. But you can make them big enough that with a a little um, concentration they're good enough. But if you're open to doing this, it's the path of least resistance where the other one that you do want to change would would definitely be more resistant. So it would make it a bit easier regardless of, let's say, the diameter of the, the conduit or the pipe. Yes, exactly. Okay, great. We are talking with Loretta Graziano-Bruning, author of Meet Your Happy Chemicals. And you can learn more about Loretta by going to her website. It's www.innermammal.com institute.org that is inner i-n-n-e-r mammal m-a-m-m-a-l institute.org so check that out after the show just continue listening because it's going to get a little bit more interesting right now even more interesting than it has been i think this is very fascinating because there are so many people that don't understand they just think well i was born unhappy and they don't understand that they could typically you know they they can tip the scales in their favor so that they can be happier no one's ever really taught them that so this is your book is almost like a guidebook to teach people that this is what you need to do and and that's very important because i don't think anyone's ever really written as easily to understand how you can do this you know in a short time frame i don't think 45 days is all that long it's a month and a half that's not a long time if you truly want to do this you know uh and i and i think that that your book speaks to it very well and and shows people how to do it. What are some of the ways that we can stimulate our happy chemicals? Okay, I'll give some examples, but I really want to emphasize that if each person chooses some example that's right for them, that they're going to be much more, you know, motivated to work on it. So let's do one happy chemical at a time. So let's start with dopamine. So dopamine is the good feeling of I got it. So my favorite example that I used was, you know that part of your house or many parts of your house where like everything's a mess and you say, oh, God, someday i got to do something about that. And like every time you look at it, it bums you out, but you can't stand to start, you know. So so I decided I was going to work on it for 15 minutes. And I was going to put on a timer, and I was going to do it for those 15 minutes, and then I was going to feel good about it. Like, okay, I'm going to do it for 15 minutes a day, and that's going to be an accomplishment. And if I do that every day, then it'll get worked on. Now, some days I'm so into it that I just keep going, and the whole closet gets cleaned up. And other days it's like, okay, I did my 15 minutes, goodbye. But either way, I I have... Like, instead of having that feeling of being overwhelmed, I have this feeling of being on top of things. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, so it's like yeah, eating, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? You just have to really sit uh, down and, and right? The, the set goals yeah. for little goals, and then they become the bigger ones. Uh, what is his name? Oh, my God. Is it um, 
Oh, there's a gentleman actor. I never know who these actors are. But there's an actor who said his father owned a store when he was growing up. And his father told him, you have to take down, uh, take down the whole front facade of the store. And they did. And then he said, now go over there and rebuild the front. Do it a brick at a time. Lay a few bricks a day. And he said what he yeah. learned from that was if you lay a few bricks a day, all of a sudden you have a new facade. Instead of thinking, oh, I have to build the whole thing. And I loved that because it is taking things and making them into something smaller so you can do it and you get a sense of accomplishment. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, mm-hmm. again, whatever whatever that goal is to break it down in parts and then to feel good about what you've done rather than just focus on how little you've done. Right, right. Because you've accomplished the goal you set for the day. And like you said, sometimes you really get into it and you have the time because it's just flowing so well and you can do more. Everything's just going the way it should. And you realize that as that's happening, wow, I did even more today, which means you don't really necessarily skip tomorrow. You just set the same goal for tomorrow, but you get more enthusiastic about it and you give yourself you know, a pat on the back. And I don't know, I think it, it, it makes the factor of doing the job way less overwhelming when you when you have those moments like that. Yeah, exactly. Um the problem of course is that once once I get a good feeling from that, that's not going to last forever. So eventually um this fascinating monkey study with this where, you know, if you give the monkeys a bigger reward, they feel good in the beginning, then their dopamine does not go up when you give them the reward because they take it for granted. It's it's amazing. So you have to then set a goal like in a different area. Okay. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, your is brain, that just, I mean, your brain is that evolved just because to get Right, but as human beings, we have the ability to think more intelligently and can probably find the gratitude in that, well, there was extra time today to do that, and I'm grateful for it, and realize the next day. So there's some intelligence that comes into this. You can kind of talk yourself through it, right? Yeah, good point, yes. Um, But if I spend 15 minutes every day cleaning my closets, it is never, ever, ever going to feel as good as it did the first time. But if I focus my attention on something different, and of course there's only so many hours in the day, so you can't always be climbing a new mountain, but it could be something more subtle, like um, I don't like to talk to this person in my life about this subject and I'm going to set a goal for myself that I'm going to say one sentence about that subject without getting mad at them, without getting mad at myself. And when I reach that goal, I'm going to just tell myself, wow, you you did that. So again, it doesn't have to be a time-consuming thing. Mm -hmm. But then I'd have to do it every day. I'm sorry, yeah. But then yeah. I'd have to do it every day. And then at the end of 45 days, I would say, wow, I'm a person who can easily talk to other people about uncomfortable subjects without getting mad at them and without putting down myself. Right. No, that's a good point. That's a very good point. Okay, so that's that's one of the ways that we can stimulate our happy chemicals. I know there are people who say, well, I, you know, I'll do it through narcotics or liquid 
you know, lightning. <laughs> you know, that's not a way to stimulate your happy chemicals. <laughs> that only lasts for a while. <laughs> then you immediately get unhappy. <laughs> yeah. But now this the forty five day process. Tell us a little bit about that. Let's listeners know what that kind of is about so they can get a little bit of an understanding of what what they may be going through. Okay. Well first to start with the way your brain is today is because when you were young, certain things happened over and over, and every time the brain has an experience, neurons grow closer to each other. And over time, electricity easily sails across the neurons that are already connected. And when that happens, you have the feeling of, I know what's going on, this is true, this is normal, this is natural, this is automatic. But it's really just a chance of the things that were repeated in your past. So you can reshape your brain by just repeating something different. Now, how long do you have to repeat it? Well, it's complicated because the things that originally wired you are the things that are sort of like on an animal level, like food is good, hate is bad. And if you're trying to wire yourself for something a little simpler, you know, it it takes a little bit of repetition. In addition, this is a crazy thing, but when we're young, our brain produces this extra substance that it insulates our neurons. It's exactly like insulation on wires that makes the wires more efficient. And when you get older, your brain doesn't produce that anymore. So your new circuits are not going to be building up as strong as your old circuits. So when you try something new, you always have that feeling that that other way is better. And when I say better, on the animal level, better means survival. That that old behavior, like people really, I, I joke about it, like I'll die if I don't have a cigarette. In other words, the the brain actually thinks the cigarette is making you survive or the donut is making you survive. So when you go without the cigarette or without the donut or without anything, you actually feel threatened. And to know that, okay, I'm going to live with that threatened feeling because I know it's not real and I know in 45 days I'll have a new circuit that will feel good about this new behavior, but the new behavior is going to feel bad for 44 days. But on the 45th day, it's going to feel good. It's going to feel good enough that you you know that you're not going to always have that feeling that your survival is threatened unless you go back to your old way. It's like enough for you to trust your new circuit. Do, and again, I'm not. I, I just want to, in case anybody's like into Alcoholics Anonymous or something, I'm not saying trust it like you should go to a bar. Right. Okay. And and I was just going to ask you that for people who are uh, who need to do some rehabilitation of any type, whether it's quitting smoking or Overeaters Anonymous or Alcoholics Anonymous or a drug rehab program or anything like that, this would be helpful in their program. Do they use this? Do these programs they use this? this? Oh, well, um, I've only had the book out for about a year, and half of that year I've been writing a sequel. 
So um, it, I, I'm hoping they'll use it, but it's still slowly. And, you know, people are very attached to the methods they have. And um, uh, it gets hits in with the other methods. So a lot no, of people. Does. Thanks. Yeah. So a lot of people are, are adapting it, but I don't know yet how they're using it. It, well, it fits, I think it fits in very well because as I was reading it, I thought this would be great for any type of situations like that because you're creating a new habit. And typically a new habit is like a 28-day thing. Some people say 21, some people say 28, about a month. This is 45 days because – and I, I don't like to really use this word because I'm not sure it's correct. But when you said, you know, you're saying these things to yourself, are, you, are these somewhat like affirmations? Um, it, people have different ways of doing it, so it, it depends. But um, putting something in words is one one way of doing it, but it doesn't always work. I'll give you the simplest example. I wanted to bring my shopping bags to the store, you know, so I didn't have to waste a new bag, and I would just bring my bags. And I would always forget them. And if I would tell myself in words, I would still forget. So one day I said, you know what, if I forget, I am going to march myself back to my car <laughs> and get them. And then I stopped forgetting. <laughs> so um, words are not everything because we're used to lying to ourselves. But to, in my scheme of things, time is important. So anytime I put time at stake, then I'm going to pay attention. Okay. And, and and I think that's true just about anything. If you have something at stake, yes, that's that's re that really is at stake. It's not like it's some stupid thing. I mean, for me, I use a Bowflex every other day, and I used to tape this soap opera called All My Children, which I loved, and I watched it for years. And I would tape it, and I would go down and do my workout, and I would be able to watch two episodes of All My Children, each of them an hour. And if I didn't do the workout, I wasn't allowing, I would not allow myself to watch those two episodes. I had to just skip two and go to the next two. So, you know, now in soap opera world, everything catches up. But it was like, oh, darn, I really wanted to see what happened. And, and that's how I kind of, you know, I made myself go down. It's like, I want to see what happens. I want to see what happens. So I would actually go and do that. And it worked for me. So, you know, it was like my little reward or if you want my punishment if I didn't, you know, do my workout. But needless to say, for the past, like, 12 to 18 years I have, I don't know how long I've had, oh, it's been 18 years I've had the Bowflex machine. Every other day I do the workout because I want to see all my children. Now they took it off the air, and now it's just like, ah, screw it, I'll just watch the news. <laughs> Whatever's on. So I got into the habit of just doing it because it felt good. But it took a while because I really was, like, giving myself a treat. See, I, I was like That's an animal. I was like a dog giving myself a treat. <laughs> That's a really good example because then once the circuit builds, then you're going to keep doing it anyway, which is what we call a habit. And then somehow once something is a habit, it's a little easier to do. Yeah. And I'm sure it was a habit before they took all my children off the air. It's just that I was using that as an excuse, you know. And now it's online, but I don't have my PC down there, so I can't, you know, I can't do that anyway. But that's okay. It's an interesting way to to form habits, though. So that I like to treat myself if I'm going to try to do, you know, something. Uh, give yourself something for it because you're putting in the effort, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Kind yeah. of, kind of yeah. makes sense well, to but me. The treat the treat is what gets you to do it long enough to make it a habit. 
Right. So here's an interesting example I'm thinking about. Um, you talked about my, my chapter about my childhood. So my mother was a sort of a screamer, and um, I, I guess that was sort of maybe widespread in the past. Um, yep. Hopefully not today, but maybe. I don't know. Um, I think less so. So mm-hmm. let's say a mother is screaming at her kids or maybe doing else something else that she thinks is hurting her kids and she decides to not do it anymore and what the the natural thing is you know people say they're not going to do something anymore and then they go back and do it and then either they feel awful about themselves or they come up with some reason to justify it like well it's really helping my kids by doing this to them so all of that doesn't work. So here's the alternative. If you say, if I don't yell at my kids for the whole day, I'm going to treat myself with X. And then in addition to say, if, I'm, if I don't yell at my kids in this particular context, then right after I'm going to relax myself in some other way. And then again, then you have to do that long enough to make it a habit. Well, and that makes sense, but at least, and it's awareness thing, too, to know that you are doing it. That's the first step. Yeah, 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 and that's the the whole thing about awareness is it's just an old circuit. It's an old circuit that first it's a big circuit, and second it's a circuit that triggers a lot of cortisol, and once the cortisol is flowing, your body thinks, oh, a lion is coming, I have to run, and Mm. running is yelling at your kids. Yes, that is a good example. You know, one of your chapters was very interesting. It was called Choosing Unhappiness. It was interesting because while I was reading the chapter, it seemed to me that no one would use those excuses, for lack of a better term, to not be happy if their goal is truly to be happy. I mean, if someone wants to be happy, why would they come up with these excuses to not be happy? It seems like a person like that just isn't into even trying to make an attempt to be happy. Okay, here's the thing. We want all of that. We want the dopamine feeling, and we also want the oxytocin feeling, and we want the serotonin feeling. So how could you get all of them at the same time? It's really hard. So oxytocin feeling means if I go along with the people around me, I'm bonded. So in order to do that, then I can't go for it to get the dopamine feeling. Or I can't do the, you know, the serotonin is like I'm important. So once I feel like I'm important, then I can't do this other thing. Even the person who's important, but then they have no time left to do something else. So every every moment we're choosing if I do more of this, then I do less of that. So a, a lot of people, they grow up like, in order to feel part of the group, I have to do this. If I don't do that, then I may not, I may be happier in this other area, but I'm going to lose my group. And to a mammal, losing your group means death. Because you see, with the lion, in one second, the the, the gazelle that walks away, that, that doesn't keep up with the herd, gets eaten by a lion. So your brain thinks... If I'm separated, if I separate myself, I'm going to be gone. You don't okay. consciously think that, of course, but right. you're you're thinking if I lose my bond, if I threaten my bond by going for happiness, 
I'm going to lose my bond, and then I'm going to be dead. Right. So when and however people that go- bond got defined when you were young. So when people are going through this, is it for them to try to determine which one of these happy chemicals they want to improve on, or is it for them to try to figure out what it is in a – I'm thinking it's in a specific area. What area do you want to be happy in? You can't yeah. raise all of the happy chemicals at once. Do you – If you, I mean, if you read the book, people will understand which chemical it is they're raising. But even sometimes it might be a little questioning which, which chemical you're raising. Why does it matter as long as you're happy? Do, do we have to care about which chemical it is? Um, or, ju- or just for the understanding part, I think, probably, right? Uh, yeah, it's one way of figuring out what you're missing. If you have that something is wrong feeling, um, one, one way of doing it is to say, um, well, it, what drives people mostly is the, the bad thing that they want to get rid of, really. Right. So that's a fact, but the bottom line is what good thing can I substitute with it? And that's mm-hmm. complicated. So let's say you are having a bond with a group of people that also make you unhappy. And how can I do this other thing I really want to do, but I'm worried about losing the bond? So what is the solution? For some people, the solution may be to build new bonds. But for other people, the solution may be that I'm going to have some other goal in my life that's going to help me feel good when these people get on my nerves. So there's all different ways of tackling it, but it depends on your individual circumstances. But one thing is that it's too easy to gravitate towards the thing you're already good at. So if you're already good at bonding and you make more bonds, or if you're already good at accomplishing goals and you make more goals, so people can drive themselves crazy doing more of the same thing. So I think a little diversification is good. Sure, because if you're used to, if you're good at doing the same thing, it's too easy to just yeah, fall into that and keep doing you're the not, same thing. You're not, missing, yeah, you're not okay, changing you're anything. Missing, <laughs> yeah, right. you're still missing out on the other thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Now, in the very back of the book, these were interesting. You have these postcards from the brain. Yeah, <laughs> they were very interesting because, you know, I'm reading them and they're, you can download them at meetyourhappychemicals.com. And it's interesting because it's two different fonts. So you've got one that is there is no free love in nature. And then I guess the response to that on the same postcard, is sex has a preliminary qualifying event in every species. So are we using, is this the two different parts of the brain talking to each other? Um, uh, not necessarily. I think most of those, there's um, a simple statement and then an explanation of a simple statement. But, yeah, in some cases it's... Um, like how we would put it in words and then how our neurochemical brain is really thinking about it. But in terms of sex is, um, say that one again. That one, oh, that, I'll go to another. Love in nature. Right. Yeah. 
Um, people want to think that, you know, in the animal world, sex is uncomplicated and only humans have messed it up. But it's not true at all. I mean, in the monkey world, it's horrible. You know, one monkey gets all the girls and pushes the others away and they don't get anything and it's a mess. Mm. Yeah. Well, as I was reading them, like your brain seeks status as if your life depended on it. And then underneath it says, because in the state of nature, it does. I mean, I had to laugh at that one because that's just so true. And it makes so much sense. It's almost like you know it, but you don't acknowledge it, but you know it. Thank you. You know what? This is what um, my book, I Mammal, is about. And that's all about serotonin. And the thing about serotonin is in the state of nature, whichever guy gets the banana or girl or, or gets the mating opportunity, their serotonin flows, and that that one succeeds at reproducing. And that's what um, causes natural selection. And it's that... Um, I got it. Well, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, you have a wonderful compilation of things here for people to read and study and do and improve themselves by bringing more happiness into their lives, and I think it, it flows very well, and I can't believe we're almost at the top of the hour. However, before we say goodbye, Loretta, would you please tell our listeners how they may learn more about you and your work and how they may go about purchasing your book, Meet Your Happy Chemicals? Thank you so much. Well, you can buy Meet Your Happy Chemicals at Amazon.com. Um, I assume the other outlets have it, but um, it's very easy there on Amazon. I hope you'll read it. It's on Kindle. It's actually also on iTunes if you want that format. Um, and, yeah, hardcover or Kindle. And I have free resources for all of my books at InnerMammalInstitute.org, including you mentioned um, – the postcards from the brain. So mm-hmm. at intermammal.org, at the top it says resources, and then there's each of the books mentioned and the resource for Meet Your Happy Chemicals. If you click on it, I also have poems. So I have a short poem about each of the happy chemicals that helps you understand it and remember it. Yes, and that's on the back of the book. I enjoyed those too. <laughs> Thanks. Those were very cool. I have cool. them in the yeah. form of a poster. Uh, anybody could download the poster. It's just a small flyer to um, have them to remember. Well, and that is good because then you can look up and actually know which one. It would be like a game every day. Where am I at now? Which one's going? You know, and it's a good way to learn. Yeah, absolutely. So, listeners, we need you to spread the word. If you enjoy what you hear on Energy Awareness Radio, and we know you do, share it with your friends. Send the link to the show so they can be made aware of all the wonderful things that are offered here at Energy Awareness Radio. All of my guests share their time freely. They give us a minimum of 60 minutes of their day to help us all, and as you are all aware, they do it at no charge. You pay nothing for the wisdom and knowledge that you receive here at Energy Awareness Radio from all of these wonderful guests who share their time and expertise with us. So please share. Be sure to pass the word. Make others aware so they, too, will be able to grow and learn and make this world better for everyone. Thank you again, Loretta. I very much appreciate you taking time to be here with all of us tonight. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're quite welcome. On behalf of everyone here at Energy Awareness Radio, I'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in this evening. My name is T. Love, and I hope you'll be back next Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time for another great show. So go ahead and 
Get out your calendar, note it now so you remember to tune in next week. And for more information about me, please visit my website, quantumwellness.org. That's quantumwellness.org. You'll find an archived list of past shows, the lineup for upcoming shows, as well as information about other upcoming events that I'll be hosting throughout the year, including the Quartz Crystal Singing Bowl concerts. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at NRG Aware Radio. That's at NRG Aware Radio. I am your host, T. Love, here at Energy Awareness Radio, intending you and yours a most wonderful week. Remember, living from your heart is quite easy. You need only give thanks to do so. Take care and stay well. Stop the light.